Good morning. Happy Christmas to you. Not only here in live, but down in Blend and down all the way down the hall in Amped, out in Roan County and uptown or near uptown, downtown in Bearden. Welcome. We're all gathering together in one space, one place, celebrating the King of the Kings, Jesus himself. Amen? Hey, Christmas songs, love them, hate them, whatever, all the way in between. Christmas song playlists that only take place this time of year. And in a week or two, they'll probably just move their way back into the the shelves of our libraries or on uh, Spotify, and we won't hear them for a while. I remember my first um, introduction to Christmas songs. I'm going to take you way back. Some of you will have to uh, go back with me in this. I remember way back when the first time I heard Christmas songs, like the traditional tunes, not, not the sacred scores, but the traditional tunes, the ones that actually played on a, what in our house was a stereo in the form of a casket. You remember those? It was a piece of furniture, right? It was a piece of furniture, and you lifted the lid. And we had a, we had a state-of-the-art casket stereo. We, we had one that held like five or six albums at once, and that vinyl would drop one after the other after the other. Man, I grew up to Andy Williams and, and uh, Julie Andrews singing Christmas songs. I grew up hearing Elvis Presley and Nat King Cole, and now they call those, those classics, they call them the oldies. But in my day, they were called current. That was, that was current. Those were the musicians at play. And so I remember those early days of, of Christmas songs and playlists that flooded my mind, flooded my heart. And uh, the other place I heard a bunch of Christmas songs was at church. We had a rumbling organ at our church, and they would just pound that thing. And then you'd hear the, the, the whole place would rumble, and we'd sing Christmas songs. And yet one of the places I remember learning Christmas songs and Christmas carols was actually doing something I don't know that we do anymore, caroling. Do you know what that is? Caroling? Anybody, in the last year or so, here in every venue, raise your hand if you've caroled and you've gone door-to-door caroling in the last year or so. Okay, nobody, one person, two people maybe in this venue, and maybe across our venues, not a thing. And so if you're under, I don't know, 20, you're probably going, what's caroling? What is that? We used to meet at the church. We'd meet at the church. Uh, we'd, we'd gather up. They'd, they'd hand out maps Hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to, actually, we're going to actually go to the community around which we live, and we're going to sing Christmas songs. We'd sing a couple sacred songs, and then we'd always end with, we wish you a Merry Christmas, right? And then we'd all head back to the church and have hot chocolate and cookies. That was what caroling was. If a carolo came to your door now, you'd probably turn off your lights, and if it's not the Amazon guy, I'm not answering the door, right? And yet, caroling was a big thing. It was part of what Christmas was all about. And so what we've been tapping into in this series we're in is, are the songs, the songs of Christmas, the Psalms of Christmas. And we'll get to that in our series in just a second or so. But one of my all-time favorite Christmas songs, all-time favorite Christmas songs, might surprise you. You probably think it's something secular. It's not. It's actually something religious. And I remember um, singing this song with, with, with others, and we're going to do it this morning. How many people want to carol here and across our venues? You ready to carol? Yes? Let the other venues hear you. Yes? yes? I hope you are too, out in Bearden in Roan County. We're going to carol, so put on your mittens, strap on a scarf, right? And I want to hear you sing. We can actually sing without a full band and a sound system. Did you know that? Here we're going to do it. Let's sing together, Joy to the World. Here we go. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Louder! Prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and nature sing, 
and heaven and heaven and nature sing. Give it up. You guys did it. Christmas carols, Christmas songs. All of you in this room are smiling. I hope you are in the other venues as well. It just puts a smile on your face. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. It's a declaration and a proclamation. How cool was it? Years ago, people that loved Jesus went door to door singing Christmas carols, declaring that the king has come. Folks, that's what we're singing about. That's what we're pointing to. That's what the Psalms we're going to get into today are talking about, that, that the king himself has come let earth receive her king. It's a beautiful sentiment. It's a beautiful thought. It's a beautiful phrase right there in, in, in a beautiful tune and a medley for us to sing. And yet I gotta ask you this question, get to the heart of the matter right now. I gotta ask you this question, and this is the question I think we wrestle with every day. Do we really want a king? Do we really want a king? And I'm not talking about like the, the social structures and the monarchy and all that stuff. Put that out of your head for a while. I know there's a king that's taken his throne a, on, a, on another island. And yet, in our world, do we really want a king? Do we really want Jesus to reign and rule over our lives, over all that we are? Because that's what it's all about. That's what the gospel's all about. That's what Christmas is all about. That's what following Jesus is all about. That we actually have a new king, a king that reigns and rules over us, and we're surrendered to him. Paul reminds us of this in Colossians. He says, God's delivered us from the dominion of darkness, and he's transferred us to what? The kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Folks, we have a brand new king. We want the forgiveness of sins, and we want redemption. But what he's saying here is that we've been transferred. We once were under, under the dominion of darkness, of the evil one, of our own wills. And now he says, you've been transferred because of what Jesus has done. And we belong now in a new citizenship to a new king. And the king's name is what? It's Jesus. We have a new king. It's King Jesus. And if we're honest, if you're utterly honest today, that's the question that sits in front of all of us. Do you really want a king? Do you really want a king? It's easy to sing about that. It's easy to theoretically assent to that, that we want a king. And yet I would push back and say, I think that's the battle. That's the tension of the Christian life every day. Who's going to reign in my life? Is it going to be me or you? I think what we really want and how we actually practice having a king in our life, we, we kind of see it as, um, well, I'm driving this car. Jesus is in the front seat with me. And, and we're doing this thing together. We're in this partnership. I'm in a relationship with God. I'm in a relationship with Jesus. And what happens oftentimes is that we take the things that we wish for, long for, hope for, and we, we kind of create them like, not unlike a, a list that we give Santa. God, would you do this for me? Would you take care of that? Would this issue of my life? And we want Jesus in our life. We've invited him into our life. And yet the reality is we want him just to ride alongside and make life good, make life well. And that's why I believe in my heart of hearts is why so many of us are found, find ourselves in a place of disappointment and disillusionment. Because that's not how it was meant to be. Hear this. Hear this strong and loud. We cannot unthrone the king of the world. You cannot unthrone the king of the world. You may have invited him into your life, but he's invited you into his kingdom. It's a whole different reality for us. You can't dethrone Jesus. It's not possible. And what Jesus offers us is the full and wonderful life our hearts yearn for and we long for and we even sing about. And yet it's found in a bizarre way. It's not in our independence, but in our dependence on Jesus and our reliance on him. The most counterintuitive, vulnerable place for us to be, and yet that's where life is found. It's found under the reign and rule of King Jesus. 
If you haven't picked up the main idea for the weekend, let me hit it hard for you right now. Christmas songs point to life lived under the perfect king. Christmas songs point to life lived, how life was always meant to be, the happy, blessed life was always meant to be lived under the perfect king, that we have a perfect king. In this series, we've been looking at psalms. And if you've not been with us the last couple weeks, we've been talking about psalms that were songs, that are lyrics written to us. And, and we've been looking at some, you might think, some obscure psalms and some songs. And I, I, I'll venture to say none of you are probably going to include any of the psalms that we've covered this month on your Christmas card next year. <laughs> They're probably not going to make it. And yet these are the songs and the psalms that point to Jesus. And here within Psalm 41, Psalm 41, it's a song written by a king named David. And David speaks of his own experiences, his own understanding of what it means to be king. But as we talked about in week one, he's also talking about the one who will come after him. He knew that there would be one in the lineage of David, one who would come after him who would reign and rule forever. And so it's layered up here. He's talking about his own experiences as a king, but he's also referring to and talking about the king who will one day come and reign and rule forever. So let me read Psalm 41 to you. I wish it sounded more Christmassy than it does, but, but it points to Jesus. Don't miss it. It says to the choir master, a psalm of David. How do we know this is about a king? Well, David's a king, and David's writing this psalm. He says, blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He's called blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. The Lord sustains him on his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to full health. As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. My enemies say of me in, in malice, when will he die? When, <clears throat> when will his name perish? And, and when one comes to see me, he utters empty words while his heart gathers iniquity. When he goes out, he tells it abroad. All who hate me whisper together about me. They imagine the worst of me. They say a deadly thing he's, has been poured out on him. He will not rise again from where he lives. Even my closest friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. But you, O Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up that I may repay them. By this I know that you delight in me. My enemy will not shout and triumph over me, but you have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. And then he concludes with this. Blessed, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. I know you're going... All right, Mark, I don't see it. Where's the Christmas? We'll get there. There's a Christmas in here. There, there's, there's the pointing and the revelation of, of King Jesus in here. And, and Psalm, Psalms 1 and 2 through 41 actually make up the first book of five books in the Psalter, which is the Psalms themselves. And from Psalm 1 and 2 to 41, there's this parentheses. He starts with back in 1-1, he talks about the life that we live, the, the, the blessed king, the blessed life that we live under the king, King Jesus, the blessed and happy life will be experienced in this way. And so from Psalm 1 and 2 all the way to 41, he's describing what it means to live with the king, under the king, and, and have the happy, blessed life. And here in Psalm 41, the parentheses gets closed here even though it sets the stage for the whole Psalter. And he says, at the very end, blessed the Lord, the God of Israel. It forms a frame within one and two to 41. And we know who this blessed king is. His name is Jesus. He's the one who was promised in 2 Samuel chapter seven, the one who will come in David's line, the one who will follow in David's line, who will reign and rule forever. The promised king, the promised Messiah, there's Christmas, there's Jesus himself. He says, I'll raise up an offspring after you and I will establish his king forever, his kingdom forever. Folks, 
David writes this song and it points toward the future king. It points toward our forever king. And so for us, folks, here's where it is. Life lived, life lived under the perfect king. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Some of us think the gospel is making a decision to follow Jesus, walking, walking an aisle even or praying a prayer, and that's the gospel. That's just a small part of the gospel. The gospel for us is the story of Jesus. The gospel for us as believers, as followers of Jesus, is the story of a king, a king promised and a king fulfilled. And a king fulfilled came in, in this place and in this space, established his kingdom here on this earth, rescued and saved us, placed his Holy Spirit in us, and is coming back to reign and rule for all of eternity with us. Folks, that's the gospel. We're going to be unpacking that more and more in 2024, but that's the fullness. That, that's the truth of the gospel. That's what it's all about. That's what we're called to. So why do we say Psalm 41 is about a future king? Why do we say that? Well, it's not a matter of my opinion or anyone on our teaching team's opinion. We say that because actually both Luke and John connect Psalm 41 to Jesus. The, the, the scripture points to this. The authors of scripture point to this. So let's take a look at the first one. Luke chapter one, if you wanna turn your Bibles there, you think I'm talking fast now, we're gonna fly through this story. There's a lot in Luke chapter one. I hope you'll spend some time in there this week. Live it out, it's gonna take you there. But Luke chapter one tells this beautiful story and it points to three people who seek without question that that they're a part of a story, the kingdom of God. They didn't have the word gospel for it back then, but, but it's the full story of who God is. A king was promised to Israel. A king was promised in the line of David. And, and three people in the first chapter of Luke actually point to the reality that Jesus himself is the fulfillment of the king that was promised. A guy named Zechariah, his wife named Elizabeth, and, and a, a sweet woman named Mary. We know Mary's story pretty clear. Zechariah, he was a priest, in the first part of chapter one, you'll see he was in the, the temple doing his priestly duties, and he was a devout man. It says he and Elizabeth were devout. They lived a blameless and righteous life. And you know, that's extraordinary if you think about it, because it also says they were way up there in years. It wasn't like they were 22 and just been following God for a wee bit. They, they were up there in years. This was an older couple, a very old couple. We're not sure exactly how old, but the impression here is Pretty daggum old. And yet they were living righteously and blamelessly before God. And, and an angel appears to Zechariah while he's doing his priestly duties. He's probably done those hundreds of times. And an angel appears to him. And the, and the angels must have been given this at angel camp. They must have been told, hey, when you show up in front of humans, you gotta say, don't be afraid. Why? Because they were scary. They scared people. And so Zechariah was, was dumbfounded by the fact that this angel appeared to him and the angel said, don't be afraid. And then the angel goes on and says to Zechariah, your prayers have been answered. God has heard your prayers. You and Elizabeth have been faithful to God and walked a blameless and a righteous life, even though the very heart, her desire of her heart and probably the, heart, the desire of your heart, Zechariah, is that you'd have a child. It's never happened for you and yet you've walked faithfully and blamelessly before God. You've trusted him. And so here's, Here's what Zechariah is told. He's told by the angel, God's heard your prayer. And, and, and God's going God's to actually grant you a child. And Zechariah responds, and some of you know the story. He goes, I'm an old guy. I'm an old man. And worse than that, he goes, have you seen her? She's up there in years. He was looking at Elizabeth going, she's up there. And because Zechariah questioned that God could do this, the angel said to Zechariah, I'm going I'm to actually mute you for a bit. I'm going to mute you. I'm going to put on the mute button in your, in your mouth so that you can't speak until all this transpires. 
So Zechariah and Elizabeth are about to experience a profound presence of God himself. And meanwhile, in Luke, and I gotta rush through this, there's a little gal named Mary. Mary is faithful, loves Jesus, loves God. Angel appeared, well, she knew to love Jesus eventually, but she loved God, and the angel appears and says to her, all throughout his proclamation to her and her response to him, that she's a part of the grand story. You're gonna actually live, you're gonna actually work on this a little bit and live it out this week. But Mary responds with that great response. May it be to me as you've said that, that the one in my womb, the one who's been promised is, is going to be the Messiah, the one to come. She knew she was a part of the king's story. And Mary grasped that she's a part of that unfolding story. And then the time comes for Elizabeth to actually give birth and she gives birth to a son. And as the, the angel had told Zechariah, when that child's born, you're, you're to name him John. And so they, they gather eight days later to circumcise this, this little guy. And all the family and the relatives gather around and they say, what's his name going to be? Because they assumed it'd be Zechariah or, or a name that's a family name. Nobody apparently in their family had the name John. And Elizabeth answered, answers because she understood too. She said, his name's going to be John. And disrespectfully so, this crowd doesn't take her word, they look to the mute guy. Well, what do you think her name should be? He goes, give me a pad. His name is John, did you hear her? His name is John. And right there, Zechariah's mouth was loosed. He got his voice back. And when he gets his voice back, he, he provides some powerful words of, ends up being scripture for us. And he says this in verse 67. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he prophesied saying, Catch this, he prophesied saying, lifted right out of Psalm 41. There it is, there's the connection. He says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. And then he goes on to describe the gospel and the reality of the gospel. For he's, he's visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show us the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And then he goes on to speak specifically about his own son, John. He says, as you, child, will be called the prophet of the most high, for you will go before the Lord and to prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Remember what Paul said? I'm moving you from a dominion of darkness into a place of light. I'm moving you to a brand new kingdom. Zechariah, Paul's probably lifting this also from Luke as well. Zechariah is, is including... He's including this in his declaration. And for this reason, we, we point Psalm 41 to Jesus. In fact, one of our all-time favorite locally, le, le, recently, not locally, recently, a guy named James Hamilton. We've, we've like every one of us who've been in the study of Psalms has loved this guy named James Hamilton. He's written a, a commentary on it. And, and why we love this guy so much is because he points without question Jesus all throughout the Old and New Testament, points to the, the reality, the culmination that, that the promise made to Israel was fulfilled, and it was fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And he says here, Zechariah, father of John the Baptist, he quotes Psalm 41, 13, as he celebrates the fulfillment of the promise to David in Luke 169. 
There, there's the connection. Zechariah ties the birth of his son and, and the mission that John was given to, to the reality of, of the full story of the gospel, that a king is coming, and John's to declare and prepare the way for the king, making known salvation to man. So not only does Luke do it, but John does it as well, and Jesus himself erupts, erupts in, in conversation in the book of, of John, and he declares himself that he's connected to Psalm 41. He's claiming that Psalm 41 was fulfilled when he handed the morsel of bread to Judas the night before he was betrayed. Language that maybe we picked up on when we read through Psalm 41. He says in Psalm 41.9, even my close friend in whom I trusted who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. That should sound familiar to us. Like some, we, we ought to be hitting some bells here. Doesn't that sound a little bit familiar? John, in chapter 13, Jesus speaking, he says, I'm not speaking of all of you. He's talking to his disciples. I know whom I've chosen. Underline this if you're actually in the book of John. He says, but the scriptures will be fulfilled. He's quoting Psalm 41. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Jesus is declaring he's the one that the scriptures have pointed to. He's the fulfillment of what God has promised. And Psalm 41 looks forward to the coming king, David's, the one that's going to come in David's line. It's a song without question. It's a song about Jesus. It's a Christmas song. It's a Christmas carol. And in the culmination of all this, David responds with a a, de a declaration of praise. He says, as, as we should, as we respond to the king that's come, he says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. This is the promised king, the promised king from the Old Testament right here in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the one in whom we call Jesus. Psalm 41, this Christmas song, it points to a life lived under the perfect king. Life lived under a perfect king. How, how is life to be lived? It's to be lived under the perfect king, the one who was promised to us, the one David sang about, the one the authors point to, the one Jesus himself ties himself to. Therefore, the so what in all this, life lived under the perfect king is where I'll find the life I've been looking for. Life lived under the perfect king, under surrender to the perfect king, the one who was promised, who now reigns and rules, who's established his kingdom here in the life in which we've called ourselves followers of Jesus. Life lived under the perfect king is where we're called to live. It's where life, the life we've longed for, the blessed life, the happy life is found. Don't you want a happy life? Happy is not insecure. It's, it's, happy is not like a, a, a frail attempt to talk about what it means to be blessed. Blessed and happy are the same thing. He says, I want you to have a happy life. Don't you? I think all of us probably want a happy life. We want our happy relationships. We want happy friendships. We want happy bosses. We want happy employees. We want a happy marriage. We want happy kids. We want happy, don't we? Yes, we want happy. Some of you are spending a lot of money this week to make somebody happy. You are, you're laughing about it, but you're hoping Amazon delivers this Friday, right? Because you want to surprise somebody. You want to blow their socks off. I remember how easy that was when we first had kids. We'd head off to Target or, or Walmart with a hundred bucks and buy so much little tyke stuff. It was, un, it was unimaginable how full the tree was. It was amazing how, how much you could bless two little girls' hearts by a hundred dollars at Walmart. And then that moved on to American Girl dolls. They're a hundred dollars a piece, at least they were back then. And then all the stuff that comes with that, that led to bikes, remember bikes? And then onto computers, and it got more and more, all for what reason? To make them happy. We wanted to hear those squeals on Christmas morning. 
Some of you have some surprises planned this week that are going to blow people's socks off. That's incredible. That's wonderful. Don't hear any guilt or shame about that. I think we're wired for that. And yet the real joy we long for, way, way below the gifts and the attempt that those gifts do, are, are that life would be well. Life would be well for those people we love. That life would be a good space. That there'd be a space in which people are existing in our world and our life that are, that are well, that they're at peace, that they're happy. So many parents have spent so much time, right? You hear people say, I just want my kids to be happy. I want them to be happy. And I know we can get off the rails on that, but, but the intention here, the desire here, I, I think is pure. I, I think it's, it's a beautiful thing. The longing and the innate desire we have for a right and good place, it's, it's placed there, I believe, in our wiring from God. Like, as parents or as friends, we, we want people in our world to be happy. God wants us to be happy. God wants us to be a blessed people. The Psalms point to that. He says, I want you to live a blessed life. Don't live under the, the grueling rules and regulations you think a relationship with me is all about. I want you to be happy. I want you to live a blessed life. And he tells us how that life is, is discovered and how it's found. And he gives us all kinds of gifts. I believe God's gifts, all, all good gifts come from God, from the spiritual gifts that I believe if you're a follower of Jesus, every one of you has a spiritual gift and some of you have more than one. Good on you. God's given us some supernatural gifts, but he's also given us some superficial gifts. Why we would be a blessed people to drive a new car, to walk into a new house, to get a new bike, an American girl doll, or whatever you're surprising people with, those are all good gifts. They all point to the, give, the gift giver. God wants us to enjoy the gifts he's given us and to delight in them and to be blessed and happy and enjoy them. And yet catch us here, unfolded in this psalm, David's describing what it looks like to live under a happy king and to, and, and to live under a happy and blessed king, to be happy and blessed ourselves. How so? He says, blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble, the Lord delivers him. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He's called blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. The Lord sustains him on his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to full health. God says, I want to provide for you a place where happiness is experienced. And it comes from being kind to those and deliberately kind to those who have less than you, just like I've done for you. I saw you in your greatest need and I stepped in and gave you my son, Jesus, that you'd be redeemed and forgiven and restored, that you'd have a happy life, that you live a blessed and happy life. He also goes on, he says in this text, he says, hey, this, just under the, 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 the reign of the king, you're delivered in the day of trouble. You're protected. You're sustained from illnesses that, that, that malign you on your sickbed. And I think when he's talking about illnesses here, he's not just talking about the physical. He's talking about all those things, those, those ailments in our life, those, those spiritual battles we have in our world, those, those addictions, those mental realities that are a part of living life on this side of heaven. He says, and all those things, and all those things, I, I want you to know that, that, that you, you can have a blessed life. In fact, what he's calling you to is a safe place. And safe doesn't mean that those things won't happen in our world. Safe doesn't mean that we won't get a diagnosis. Safe doesn't mean that someone won't die in our lives. Safe doesn't mean that, that life and, and people abusing us and betraying us won't take place. But safe means for us, hear this folks, safe means for us, the safest place for us to be is in the, in the reign and the rule of King Jesus where nothing, absolutely nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing, 
Nothing. So we can actually live in a world that's broken down, and it is. It's broken, is it not? And live in a safe place, and not just live in a safe place like we're just protected, but to be blessed and to be a happy people. God's called us to that. He's provided that for us. Jesus provides a life under his protection and his sustaining power. He provides us a happy life, a blessed life under his protection and his sustaining power. Let me say it again. Nothing, absolutely nothing can separate you from the love of God. Absolutely nothing. Last week, Nichols talked about the happy life. He said, we all should be having fun in this life. It should be fun. We should be wakeboarding, holding on, right? Going over back and, back and forth over across the wake, coming back, doing all kinds of tricks and, and whatever, whatever have you out on the water. Life should be fun. So what does that look like? What, what's the fun look like? Where's this full and this blessed life here in the text? I believe when we live under Jesus as our king, we can experience the security and rest. And there, I'm not just playing semantics. There's where joy is found. Joy, he, he, sometimes. But joy, joy knowing that that I'm safe, I'm secure in the arms of the one in whom I've surrendered my life to. I'm, I'm safe and secure under the reign and rule of King Jesus. Living in this place of security and rest we can further discover the adventure of following Jesus and what that looks like. We discover a different definition of fun, a different definition of joy. Like you, some of you, I like to be in charge. I like to lead. There's things I, I like to do in this life. One of the things I think I've discovered over the last 20 years is that one of the things I find great joy in is finding what other people are gifted and skilled at and somehow figuring out how to move them into a place or position so they can execute their skills and their gifts and have a blast doing it. They fall more deeply in love with Jesus and everybody around them is drawn closer to Christ. There's something about that, that unique gifting I feel like God's wired me to do that when I'm in the midst of it, when it's all firing and things are going well, there's a joy in it. There's, there's a deep satisfaction and a joy doing something you know you're wired and good at. I'm looking at some of you out here. I'm really glad you're good at what you do because I rely on you professionally. There's things that you do that you're just really good at. And when you're doing it, there's just fun in doing it. And I believe that's what, that's what part of joy looks like. Part of being happy, part of living the blessed life. Sometimes fun is found in doing the things that I was made to do. And yet the flip side is also true. Sometimes fun is found in just obedience. It's found in obedience. I love what I get to do. I, I absolutely love it. I love to lead. And yet what I've learned over the last several years is that I don't have to be in charge. If I, know you're on, if I know that you're in charge and you know what you're doing, I can completely relinquish control and have a blast doing it. Just sit back in the back seat. If we're going on a trip and you're, you're in charge, you know where we're going, what we're doing, I can completely enjoy you leading, you, you taking us where we go. I, I'm safe and secure knowing that we're going to get to where you said we're going to get to because you're in charge. And I believe that's the key of what the psalm is getting to. I believe that's the key of what it means to follow Jesus, to live under the reign and rule of a king. That, that we trust him, that, that, we, that at the core of who we are, no matter what's going on in our world, no matter what's going on in our life, I can trust that, that God's in control, he's gonna lead this thing, and I, I can relax and, and let go a little bit and live a, a bit more joyful, a bit more happy, because I know the king's got me, he's got it. Does it mean that none of these hard things are ever gonna happen in our life? Absolutely not. The tough things come. The key is to live this blessed life, this fun life. 
I want to have fun doing it. I think Nichols was absolutely right. I think this should be fun. I think that the world should be looking at, at us, especially this time of year, going, there's something extra fun about the holidays with these people. They got something that I don't have. I'll have what they're having, right? I mean, that, that's, what, that's what our lives ought to be pointing to. That's what we ought to be looking like. So we, we were talking at sermon meeting this week, and we're talking about two kinds of fun. One, one kind of fun is, hey, when you're doing what you know you're wired to do, it's just fun to do. The other kind of fun only feels fun in looking back, right? You look back, you think that was fun. But at the time, you're like, that was the worst experience of my life. About a month or so ago, I've been dreading this project since I moved in in March. The back part of our yard was orange, you know, Tennessee orange dirt, right? If you're new to the area, welcome. Tennessee orange dirt. It's amazing what grows in that stuff. Seriously, I'm not mocking it. But I had sod the first half of my yard, the back half. I knew when the fall comes, I got to get me a slit seeder. A slit seeder is what drives into the ground and drops seed into the ground. I had to get me a slit seeder and put grass seed in the back of my yard. And so I had one day to do it. I think it was October 13th. I was leaving the country on the 14th. Rain or shine, I borrowed a truck, rented a slit seeder, and I was going to do this thing. And so I got that slit seeder off the truck somehow, went across the yard twice, which was a lot without seed in it, and I thought this thing would be easy to push or pull. It, 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 was, not, it was not easy at all. In fact, that thing pulled me around my yard. That The restraint I had to do to hold that thing back was, was literally breaking my spirit. So I went through the yard twice to get it ready for this, the, the grass seed. I went back over it two more times with the grass seed. And then when I got done, I was about whipped out I mean, I had nothing left in me. I remembered I have to get the spreader out and actually put the starter seed out. And I had to go over the lawn twice. This thing was only five pounds or 10 pounds. And I was literally every 20 yards stopping, just put my head down. I, I saw blue lights flashing and the water that was coming out of me was not matching the water I'd put into me. And I thought, I'm not gonna make it. And I finally finished, crawled into the garage and laid on the floor. And I thought this was one of the worst experiences of my life. Went to bed that night, took ibuprofen, got on a plane the next day, slept the whole way to Albania. And then Friday morning this week, I was out there with my coffee looking around the backyard and went, look at all that green grass. There's not orange out there now. That was a blast. <laughs> Seriously? Sometimes fun is looking back. Sometimes fun is knowing you've done the right thing. You've done what you needed to do. You've stepped up and you've done exactly what God's called you to do. Sometimes fun is found in the long obedience. Elizabeth, Zechariah, faithful to God over the long haul in the disappointments of their life, faithful to God because they were faithful over the long obedience. Sometimes our, our joy, our fun is found in the long obedience. Even when every fiber of our body doesn't want to do the very thing that we know God's called us to do, to show up, to be the man, the woman that we know God's called us to do in every area of our lives. That's what he's calling us to. The big idea, Christmas songs, point to life lived under the perfect king. Life lived under the perfect king, the joy we long for, life lived in his space, doing what we know is right. In order to experience this life, it begins with resolving to live as Jesus is king. That should, that should seem obvious to us. Resolving to live as Jesus is king, that he really is the reign and ruler of our world. It's not just a song we sing, but a life we live. Resolving to live that way. Remember when Jesus was hanging out with his disciples and they kept watching him go aside and pray and he, he prayed and he kept praying and they said, hey, hey, Teach us to do that. Teach us to pray like you pray. And he said in Matthew, he said, well, I'll give you a model prayer. Here it is. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
It's called the model prayer. Why? Because it models not just how to pray, but how we should pray. God, not my will, but your will. I'm not in charge, you are. I'm not king, you are. I'm not the ruler of my life, you are. Teach me to live that way. Folks, that's what we're called to live. So the next step for us is to resolve to live under the king, to, 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 to live under a king who reigns and rules in this world and can be trusted no matter what comes down the pike in your life, no matter what diagnosis you get, no matter what friendships lost, no matter what marriage ends, no matter what child doesn't turn out, no matter what's taking place in your life, there's a place where God's going, I, I have a blessed and a happy life for you. I want you to live in the restful security of my reign and rule over your life. I was in England for a day and I heard somebody say in a store one day, oh, I can't wait, it's gonna be a happy Christmas this year. And it reminded me that, that unlike, unlike Americans, English people, they just have a better way of saying things. They, and they say, happy Christmas. It just sounds better than Merry Christmas to me. I don't know why. And I thought about this this week going, you know, Merry Christmas sounds like, well, it's like a, a merry party. It's, it's an event that takes place. And, but, but happy really reflects the, the, the truer meaning of, of, of the text itself, that we live a blessed life, that we live a happy life. And so rather than a Merry Christmas, I, I pray that you'll have a happy Christmas this year. That your Christmas will be happy, not because the moment or the, the dinner will be right or the gift will be perfect, but that, that you'll have a happy Christmas, that we'll, we'll know the, the reign and rule of Jesus in our life in a new and a fresh way, and it will cause us to live in, in, in a space that causes a, a blessed happiness to, to erupt within us, that we'd be a people that live a, a happy Christmas. So let's change the, the context going forward. We have a week for now on. Maybe surprise people at work or even here at church or in your neighborhood, when somebody says Merry Christmas, respond this way. Hey, Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. You, you know what it means. You know what it means. It means I hope you live the blessed life. Like the carolers who sung the carols and the, and the tunes of the king. May, 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 God, may God be seen and known and experienced. May, may, may this earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. That, that's, that's the song of our hearts. And so this next week, Let's be a people who, in a new and a fresh way, maybe you've never done it, but for the rest of us, in a new and a fresh way, th that we'd be a people who submit to King Jesus. God, what's your will for me today? What's your will? That, that, that's a prayer for every one of us. And this week, as we live it out together, I hope you'll dig in a little bit, and I hope you'll ask Jesus a couple questions. And here's the questions. God, what do I wake up at three o'clock in the morning all uptight and wound up about? What am I insecure about? What are the things that I feel like are unraveling me, the things that, that sit on my heart and my conscience that, that I just, I feel like I can't get to that peace, I can't get to that place that you've, you've called me to, that blessed place you've called me to to trust you because these things are in the way. God, would, would you help me? Would you meet me in that? What are those areas in our life? And then, I believe for us to live a life under the reign and rule of King Jesus, we've got to ask this question often. God, what's in the way of that? Where, where do you in my life long to have a greater voice and authority over the things that I think I own that belong to me? God, where, where do you want to reign and rule in my life more so than you did yesterday? There's a place for all of us that God's calling us to surrender even more. The safest place and the most counterintuitive place for you to be is to be surrendered completely to Jesus and there's no better place for us to be. And I pray this week as we dig in that we'll have a happy Christmas. Let me pray for us. Let me pray to that end. God, I thank you so much for the promise that you made to Abraham, to David, that there'll be a king one day who will come and reign and rule, the, the perfect king, not one that would fail and not, and not succeed at the very work you've called him to do, but one who would reign and rule. And we know that 
that king's name is Jesus. Thank you that the kingdom has come, that we're a part of it. And thank you that he's returning one day to reign and rule with us. And God, in the interim, we pray that, that we'd live the life you've, you've, you've poured out for us. That we live the happy, the blessed life, knowing that no matter what's going on in our world, that you can be trusted. God, we ask that you would lead, guide, direct our lives profoundly and powerfully in the, day, in the days to come. And this week, I pray for everyone in the sound of my voice that they'd have a happy Christmas. A happy Christmas not defined by what's received, but, but defined by what you've already given, the blessed life, the happy life. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. If that's your prayer, would you say amen?